Hello and welcome to the OnlySpans podcast, a podcast that I still can't believe CoreLogix actually gave me money to make. We're going to cover everything from DevOps, cloud observability, cloud architecture, and much, much more. All great ideas that are going to level up your craft and make you a much better engineer and hopefully save your company a little bit of money in the process. All of this, and we're not going to take ourselves too seriously, so that when you're in your bed at 3am and that production alarm goes off, you are 100% ready to go. Let's get started. In my very first job, the uh, on-premise infrastructure was just kind of like a room at the back of the office. It was run by a guy called Gary. Um, I won't go into details, but he was a complete arsehole. Anyway, the thing that we had, the problem that we had, was, was really straightforward. We needed servers, and we needed them fast. You know, software engineering was starting to change uh, in my first... Well, at the time, this is 10 years ago, things were really moving quickly. And we were aware of all these new technologies that were coming out, and we couldn't access any of them because we had some bizarre, you know, custom chipset on-premise architecture. Now, I'm sure Gary was good at his job, um, his personality aside, but even even Gary, with his infinite wisdom and arrogance, could not turn around servers very quickly. You had to buy the things, you had to set them up, build the VMs. The whole thing, the whole thing was about a one-week turnaround. Now, that's not to say that all on-premise setups are like this, but this is the memory that most engineers have of on-premise. And that's why I wanted to talk a little bit today about the resurgence of on-premise infrastructure. Um, I go to a lot of conferences, and especially the Kubernetes conferences, I'm talking to a lot of people that have on-premise infrastructure. And not just because of regulatory reasons, uh, many of them do have that constraint, um, but actually because uh, because they want to, because they think they can do it better, they can cost-optimize better, and at the scale they're going to work at, they are perceiving some serious cost savings. So, today I just want to discuss some of the pros and cons uh, for this new kind of realm of on-premise infrastructure. If you do a little bit of reading about this, you'll find that um, lots of companies actually have started to move in that direction. So like, for example, Dropbox a few years ago uh, decided uh, to ditch their cloud-based storage and move to entirely on-premise-based storage. You know, Um, obviously it's also true for the cloud providers. They can't rent clouds from other people, otherwise they won't make any money. uh, is it so so generally speaking, there is this trend with technology companies. There's also the on-premise strategy that's that's, that's happening um, in less uh, technical companies as well. So, what are the pros of an on-premise strategy? The one and the, probably the biggest motivator that you see is regulatory reasons. So, something called data sovereignty. Uh, data sovereignty is um, it's kind of a dated set of rules now, to be honest, but. It is what it is. You have to you have to work within them. Data sovereignty guarantees that the data is not going to leave a certain region or country. So, for example, um, if you're here in the UK and you have classified information, it has to stay in the UK. Certainly, probably within England, and almost certainly within London, if your if your infrastructure is based down there. So, um, and it's the same thing. It's very common in Germany as well. A lot of German companies have this problem as well, especially if you work in government, banking, anything with personally identifiable information. We're all familiar with GDPR. One of the stipulations of GDPR is that the data cannot leave the EU, uh, which is actually pretty easy to get around, you know, cloud-wise, because they have deployments all over, you know, Frankfurt and Dublin and so on. So that's one, data sovereignty. Two, and I think the more interesting one, actually, is the cloud is becoming really expensive. Um, and it's because it's a, there's a massive wide array of services, but it's really easy to spend a lot of money. Um, and the level of customization is not the same as on-premise. And I'll just give you one simple example. In AWS, if you want to set up, uh, if you want to use vCPUs, 
um, you have a choice of either one vCPU per core or two vCPUs per core. In my first job, we had 12 vCPUs per core. No vCPU, by the way, virtual CPU, it's essentially a virtual segmentation of a, of a physical core. The, the thing is, there's, there's economies of scale here that you're missing out on. So if you're uh, building sort of on-premise infrastructure, you can buy these massive servers, you, um, only a few of them, and then you can segment them up very finely, a bit like the same way we do with containers. And that way, you can, you can actually see some pretty significant cost savings there. Um, so, so there's a potential for long-term operational cost savings and um, higher customizability. And that's even more important if you're doing anything like heavy, heavy computation, where those kinds of optimizations are going to ripple out and have a massive impact. If you've just got a website with a few thousand visitors a minute, then really not worth it. Um, but if you're, dealing, if you're doing something bespoke and interesting, then um, certainly... Uh, it makes sense for you to move towards, or it, it, it makes sense for you to consider an on-premise uh, strategy, depending on how you optimize. And the other one uh, I think is really interesting is if you're a company that like primarily sells technology in some way, um, so for example, Dropbox, any of the cloud providers, this kind of thing, um, then your bottom line is fundamentally uh, based on how expensive your computer is. You know, I, I worked at Sainsbury's for a while in a, in a previous job, and um, ultimately we were doing all sorts of really interesting things with technology, but we were not really dependent on the cost of the cloud for our bottom line. Our bottom line was basically selling food. Um, everything we were doing was enabling the sale of food in some form. Um, we weren't selling the technology as it was. Um, if we were doing that, then th- we would really feel that sting of the cloud a lot more. And that's a really, really interesting phenomenon. Because you see companies like Dropbox, you often use as case studies for why the on-premise is making a comeback. Um, I also really like um, the people that I've spoken to who are doing sort of bare metal Kubernetes on-premise. You know, they have Kubernetes clusters. I spoke to one person whose company I probably shouldn't name, um, but they, I met them at KubeCon, and they were saying that they had a single Kubernetes cluster across multiple data centers, and it was all wired in in the same way. Um, and I thought, that is, that is interesting, you know? Um, because now the technology exists, and this is kind of the next part. So those are some of the pros and, and, and some of the motivations for why people are doing it. Um, why do people have such horrible memories of on-premise? Um, I think it's because 10 years ago, the technology simply wasn't in place. Um, and it's that straightforward. Um, the, the technology is just to, to manage multiple different applications across servers and that kind of thing. It either wasn't in place or it was very niche. It wasn't really in the mainstream. And so most companies did it badly or relied on people like Gary um, to, to deal with, you know, and these people had a great deal of power. It actually gives rise to that. Um, if anyone's seen The Bastard Operator from Hell, it's a series of cartoons. Um, and it's just this really sarcastic, kind of witty. The, c- the cartoons are hilarious. Um, but it really does give you an idea about what these characters were like. They had a huge amount of power. They cu- kicked up forces and, and slowed down problems and all sorts of things. So I think actually the move to the cloud was as much a rebellion against these types of people. <laughs> than it was um, about cost optimization or agility or that kind of thing. Because often companies were entirely beholden to their sysadmins. Um, now, of course, as sort of DevOps, more DevOps people were really encouraged to build self-service tools and enable people to do things for themselves within, within guidelines. Um, so we're not really given the lateral freedom to behave in the way that some of the old school sysadmins did, although some of us do. So, um, and you know, this is the thing. So because it was so poorly done in the past, 
whenever you hear, oh, I'm going on, we're doing it on premise, it's like, what? Why? Um, and actually, there's a real case for it based on those pros that I discussed, um, especially if your organization is, 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 is predicated on the sale of technology or the sale of technology services. Um, then on-premise might not be the worst thing in the world for you, especially if you're running something like Kubernetes already. Uh, you already have YAML-based interfaces into the Kubernetes API, so actually it's the underlying servers that matter. Um, of course, the you know, cloud like cloud providers like AWS, GCP, I don't know, uh, Dropbox, uh, not Dropbox, um, uh, Azure, and the others, uh, DigitalOcean, that's what I was thinking of, um, of course, they have a great deal of configurability, and this is one of the drawbacks of going on-premise. If you want to do something sophisticated with a load balancer or with, you know, routing, you have to do it all yourself, you know? And I'll, I'll give you a story, actually, from when I, uh, from, from a long time ago. So we had a data center in one of my previous companies. We had lots of them, actually. And there's a story of a cleaner. So the cleaner does the rounds at 9 a.m. every day. Coincidentally, at the same time, there's a, this one server keeps failing 9 a.m. every day. So we're like, what is going on here? What's happening? Um, and we, you know, we, we're in the office and we're trying to work out why does this thing keep going down at 9 a.m.? Nothing, there's no spike in memory, there's no spike in CPU, it just seems to die. And bef- the, the, the plan initially, this coincided with the rollout of this really expensive monitoring solution for on premise applications, all while monitoring everything as like external physical units that you plugged in because they monitored for power drops and things like that. So I was like, before we, oh, it wasn't me, it was uh, one of my colleagues who was like, before we do that, can we just please go to the data center at 9am and see what's going on? So uh, my colleague and another one of my colleagues go there and the other colleague, uh, she notices, uh, wait a minute, something's wrong here. And roughly about the same time every day, uh, and this is another thing, it wasn't 9am on the nose, it was like 9.02, 8.58 and so on. Um, the cleaner would like be whacking a vacuum cleaner into the side of this power outlet. And what it was doing was it was kind of knocking the plug out of place and the cleaner would just sort of stomp the plug back in and move on. Um, so that, that was the point where we realized, actually, when you're doing on-premise, it's not just about managing infrastructure, or managing cloud-based resources, or managing sort of on-premise-based resources and applications and load balancers. You have to train the cleaners. You know, you really do own everything. One of the stories that you hear out of Microsoft is one of the data centers is kept overheating. They couldn't really work out why. And it's because the cleaners weren't dusting the top of the servers you know, uh, and so that dust was building up and building up. This is a really, really common problem, you know, um, and people really underestimate the um, the complex uh, nature of actually keeping track of all of these different um, challenges that exist in the, uh, in the on-premise world. So what I would say is that um, do not fall into the trap of uh, under, uh, underestimating, underappreciating the scope of that challenge. It's not going to be easy. Um, so, other big drawbacks. You need a large capital investment up front. You have to buy the servers. So either you loan a bunch of money, whatever. So that's pretty much prohibitive for most companies because you're talking, if, if you have scale, you're talking about hundreds of thousands of pounds or hundreds of thousands of dollars being shelled out in order to, to meet the demand. Um, so if you don't have that cash on hand, then you're going to find yourself in a bit of trouble. Um, you know, so so that's a, that's a big, big issue. Secondly, uh, other things that you don't consider, things like real estate. So what you can do is you can do what's called a colo, a co-location, where you, you, uh, there's, a, there's a data center, it's like a warehouse, and you have like a bit of it. And it's your hardware and everything, but you kind of rent a, a space there. Um, but of course, the second you start renting things, um, you find yourself on that weird blurred line again, because essentially the cloud is just renting on-premise infrastructure. 
And so you're, you can, I'll rent the land, but I'll buy the infrastructure. And all of a sudden, the operational cost starts to increase. Then they, then they offer you this service. Oh, we'll, we'll keep it clean for you. We'll do this, we'll do that. But there's a cleaning fee and there's a maintenance fee and so on. And everything just starts to add on to your on-premise infrastructure repeatedly. It becomes a little painful. So what I would say is just be aware of that. Be aware of that hidden cost that's coming up because it's going to get worse and worse and worse over time. And um, it will sort of add on and become more difficult and more unpleasant for you to have to deal with. So yeah, the creeping operational cost, you know, going on-premise doesn't eliminate operational cost. And then, of course, the big one. You have to find hardware people. And since the advent of the cloud, those hardware people retrained into DevOps specialists and get paid way too much to go back to being sort of uh, the, the, the sort of median salary that they're receiving as a, um, as a sysadmin. So those hardware people are getting expensive. And, they're being, and the best ones are being eaten up by the cloud providers because they're the ones that are doing hardware the best, right? So the talent shortage is not to be underestimated as well. So all this is to say, this return to on-premise um, is, is, is primarily driven by two big factors. One is cost optimization, and one is regulatory requirements. There is a third small sliver, which is very, very specific jobs need to be done, and they just can't be done in the cloud. Okay, fine. If you're thinking about an on-premise move, and you're kind of sick of these cloud providers, be aware that whatever list you make of costs, you're going to miss some stuff, okay? Nobody thinks of the cleaners, nobody thinks of the rent, nobody thinks of the electricity bill, the air conditioning bill, and so on, and so on, and so on. These things add up. You will have a significant operational cost whichever way you go. Um, but if you get it right, you will massively reduce your operational cost just at the cost of that upfront uh, capital investment um, that you have to make in order to uh, build the data center in the first place. If you decide to go for a colo, then you are essentially shifting that dial away from upfront cost and towards uh, operational monthly cost. It's up to you. But so yeah, today I thought we'd just discuss the, the sort of shift to on-premise and some of the motivations behind it, as well as some of the best reasons why uh, you should do it, especially if you're in a company that's selling technology, storage, hosting, that kind of thing, because it will have a massive, massive material impact on your bottom line. So that's everything for me today. That was OnlySpans. If you want to find out more, you can check us out at CoreLogix.com. Uh, thank you very much to my sponsor, CoreLogix. Amazing. Thank you so much again. Um, I just want to mention that um, CoreLogix uh, works beautifully with on-premise infrastructure, actually, um, because it works well with pretty much anything that runs an x86 architecture. That's thanks to our commitment to open source uh, solutions. So we're core contributors to OpenTelemetry. When you deploy OpenTelemetry to your on-premise servers, you pretty much are connected to us. So if you have an on-premise infrastructure and you can deploy OpenTelemetry, we are friends and it's going to be fine. So don't count us out if you're not cloud-based. Uh, we provide observability solutions to people with hybrid infrastructure, with cloud infrastructure, with on-premise infrastructure, and we do it better than anybody else for half the price. Check us out at CoreLogix.com. If you want to get in touch with me, you can reach me out on Twitter or X. What do you call it now? Is it X? I'm going to say Twitter because, yeah, on Twitter, uh, at Chris underscore Cooney. Or uh, you can just look for me on LinkedIn, um, uh, Chris Cooney, um, and just type Chris Cooney Corologics, and I'll, I'll come up. Um, I'm the dude. I'm wearing like a polo in the thing, and I've got these like brown trousers on, I think. I'm giving a talk. I have like a Britney Spears microphone in. It's amazing. It makes me look very professional. And then you listen to this podcast and hear me swearing a lot. Anyway, uh, thank you very much for today. Um, and give me a shout if you want to hear more about this, anything different, anything that appeals to you. Just let me know, please, on Twitter, LinkedIn. My email is chris.cooney at corologics.com. Thank you very much.